0: Dave, you're a smart guy, but you got to quit chasing money. Like what you need to do is make yourself valuable and work your tail off and money will chase you.
1: What's going on, everybody? And welcome back to the Abundant Journey podcast. As always, we're glad you're joining us. I'm your host, Nick James with Nick Offenkamp, and we're super excited about our episode today. We have a guest. Coming to you from the other side of the country. For those of you who follow us, we are in the Pacific Northwest, and we got David Decker hanging out with us today. David, how are you, sir?
0: Doing very well. Thanks for having me.
1: Absolutely. Well, I want to give you a chance to tell us what you're doing a day in the life right now, but just by way of background, you and I have connected on a networking group, mastermind group called the Better Life Tribe and you are a self-storage guru. You eat, sleep, breathe self-storage, I think, but that has served you well in what you're doing now and in your past, but I love your story. So again, not to steal your thunder, but tell us a little bit about the day in the life for David.
0: Sure. Yeah, I've been doing self-storage for 20 years, um, and I kind of fell into it by accident. We could talk about that, but I, you know, it's one of these things that I just committed my life to it, and it has served me well to just become an, uh, I guess, an expert in the in the field. And uh, right now, I'm I'm uh, consulting as a as a VP of of storage for Open Door Capital with Brandon Turner, and uh, it's a great story of how I ended up there, and building a portfolio of properties and operating those properties for our investors, and uh, just having a great time. On the side, I'm actually building my own first facility uh we're to doing to a storage conversion and um and doing a full syndication by myself so i'm with a couple of amazing partners so yeah a lot going on in life and and having a great time doing it
1: i love that and we're we'll get into to more of that and 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 the busyness of your life now i want to go more into the backstory but let's get to know you a little bit more in the audience where do you live what's family life look like tell us tell us a little bit more about you
0: Sure. Yeah. Born and raised in Salt Lake City, Utah. So it's sort of the West. And uh, over the years, I've have, have moved across country for different jobs and ended up right now. I'm just north of Albany, New York. Um, I'm a, I'm a proud father of six kids, which blows a lot of people's minds, but uh, sure. it was sort of an accident. We ended up, we, we had three. I was done. My wife said, oh, there, God says there's one more. I feel it. And I said, well, okay, let's, let's. So we had four and then we had surprise twins. So, Four to six, really fast, and yeah. uh, it, you just roll with the punches when that when when that gets served onto your plate. But um, yeah, doing well. I'm I'm an outdoorsy guy. I'm, I've been training for an ultra marathon in November. Wish me luck. Oh, coming out and yeah. um, and trying to get outdoors and enjoy the, the beautiful trees up here in this part of the country. But yeah, the day in the life of David Decker. I love
2: it. So, ultra marathon has a pretty broad definition. So how many uh, how many miles is your race in November?
0: It's a 50 miler. It's the okay. uh, the JFK 50 yeah. out of, it's near Baltimore.
1: Wow. I, I just was going to say, I did a 26 mile and almost died and said never again. So the fact that you're <laughs> nearly doubling me, you're, good on you.
0: <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know if it's uh, really impressive or really stupid, but it's it, it gets me
2: going. <laughs> this be one of your first events or have you done a few races in the past?
0: This will be my fourth ultra, and like you said, there's okay. a different version of ultra marathon. Most of mine, I've done uh, three 30-mile races, and then uh, this will be my second 50-miler.
2: Okay. Wow. That's awesome. I love it. And uh, you might have mentioned this, but how long have you been in the Albany, New York area now?
0: Uh, going on three years, and just prior to that, I was in Pittsburgh for three or four years, and then before that, of course, back in back in Utah. Okay,
2: that sounds good. So, with your um, self storage investing and in business, is most of that happening along the East Coast or uh, are you kind of spread out all over the United States? What's uh, yeah. where are the markets that you're most invested in?
0: You know, it, uh, currently, <clears throat> excuse me, currently we're invested mostly in the Southeast, okay. uh, in uh, Virginia, we're in Georgia. Uh, we actually spread all the way over to Nogales, New Mexico, Arizona, um, and uh, Kentucky, and so kind of that that smile, that southern smile, and and uh, we're looking at properties. The property I'm doing myself, <clears throat> excuse me, is in my backyard. It's it's just over here in Schenectady, New York, the home of GE, and and that's kind of a cool town that we're we're seeing some growth in. Mm-hmm. But but historically, um, I've managed a, a lot in. Pittsburgh, of course, that's where I was working, uh, Denver, Colorado, and then prior company with extra space storage, where I spent most of my career growing up, was coast to coast and got to enjoy seeing properties everywhere
2: in the whole country. Yeah, that's cool. cool. My question is just how uh, – I, I want to get into how you got started in, in self-storage, because um, while Nick and I have been talking for the last couple of years about the glories of self-storage, for neither of us, was it something that we ever dreamed of getting into as we were growing up as kids? You know, it's, it's not like in first grade when they ask, what do you want to do when you grow up? <laughs> you know, firefighter, doctor self-storage owner operator, Um, usually that that last one doesn't quite fit in the pieces. So I'm uh, I'm curious, just kinda, um, some of that's like upbringing, what you thought you were gonna get into and how that led into self-storage. And some of it's just like where you saw your first opportunity in this space and what had you to jump at it. So whichever direction you wanna go with that question is totally fine, but I'm just curious, how you got into this space
0: yeah it's it's a it's probably the same story for a lot of people um my my story started i I think in high school i was i actually grew up uh pretty humble circumstances and and wanted to you know break out of that uh lower uh income stream that i was experiencing as a kid growing up and i wanted to be a dentist and i looked at dentists and they said hey they make a lot of money so that's definitely what i want to do um, I did a little bit of college and realized I have no interest in putting my hands in someone's mouth. <laughs> and uh, biology, and I, uh, <clears throat> I had the opportunity uh, to serve overseas in, in a mission and enjoyed, just loved learning, you know, teaching people and learning culture and, and uh, building processes and systems. And, and uh, when I came back, I said, business is where I want to head. Mm-hmm. And I started going down the business route, got a degree in finance. Um, and at the time I was doing a lot of my work in life's, uh, life insurance and tax planning, estate planning. And, uh, I did about three or four years of that full sales guy, you know, hundred percent commission, um, making, making what I k- killed. Right.
2: <laughs> and,
0: uh, and it was tough, tough work. I just, I realized, you know, like, I'm not really a salesperson. I love this planning and, and organizing, but I'm just not a sales guy. Um, somewhere in there, I got married and my wife also did not like commission and uh, she she pushed me pretty hard. I went back, got an MBA. Uh, in my MBA, I really focused on uh, statistics and operational efficiencies. Mm-hmm. And uh, I started looking for a job and said, "Where does this take me? I got a, a degree in finance. I know money and and uh, banking a little bit. And now I like these operational efficiencies. And I had a great mentor who who was kind of assigned to me as a uh, as a college uh, grad student. And he was a CFO who again, I had no interest in accounting at all Mm -hmm. Uh, But he would take me out to lunch. He'd look at my resume He'd do mock interviews And for whatever reason he he thought I was, you know, had a superpower. I could jump over buildings or something, but he he recommended um, Or gave me a reference to a company through a CFO friend of his uh, That was a storage company and Mm -hmm. uh, I knew nothing about storage. In fact, when I applied I literally thought they did storage, you know, data storage or did something like that because it was an analyst job. And uh, I got this job as an analyst. And and as luck would have it, I started the day that this company went public. Wow. Uh, oh, wow. Extra space storage, literally the same day. And um, I got to ride that wave for the next 14 years of seeing, you know, the inner workings of a company growing from, uh, let's say they were 70 or 80 properties at the time when I started to over 1,400 locations when I was when I left, and becoming you know the largest IPO in self storage for in years and years one of the largest companies in, in Utah. Mm-hmm. Um, and with that ride waiting it out, um, I was able to experience <clears throat> being an analyst. I was in revenue management. I was a district manager. I was the senior director of operations when I left, and seeing the whole company from all these different perspectives that. I could not replace with any type of education It's just sticking in one position, one company and watching it and jumping from angle to angle until I understood the whole business. So when I left, um, it was on, on great terms and and people were, I had three offers the day I left uh, because people said, wow, you've been educated by extra yeah. space. We would love to have you. And, and it's just been, it's blossomed since then. And so I'm a, I'm a big fan. Although I know your audience is a lot of entrepreneurs and people starting, but man, the opportunity to learn and the education by sticking around at W-2 for a certain period of time, whatever that is for you, mm-hmm. is so valuable. It's so valuable to have that education and really become expert. There's a long story to you know, how I got into storage.
1: I love that. And I think that's a superpower that gets overlooked often. You know, there's this massive wave, the financial freedom gurus, the get out of corporate America, have your time back, be able to control your life. You know, that message is so loud right now. But it's so funny you talk about that because there's quite a few of our guests that we've had on the show that have said, hey, because of the w2 it launched me into the next phase it is the platform that i learned a skill or built my network or you know where was able to take those principles and then apply and you know so so to be able to look back and have gratitude and to be able to acknowledge that you wouldn't even be where you are today had you not been there for 14 years i think that's huge
0: one hundred percent. One hundred percent. I'll share one little nugget that has actually impacted my life dramatically, it, both from a lesson learned, but also from a financial uh, angle. When I was at Extra Space, I had earned up over time. Again, that, that W-2 corporate job, they were paying out um, stock options and grants over time. <clears throat> and at some point I, I got to the end where those stock grants had to be exercised. There's some options, actually. And I, I got a hundred thousand dollars. And guys, I was I was young. I you know I had a kid or two. Um, I had never seen that kind of money in my life. I mean, it just blew my mind at hundred thousand dollars in cash. Mm. And I wanted to know what to do with it. And I invested it in two places. These were with uh, some grad students that I had worked with, both as I was later a mentor, just like I had a mentor, and uh, and people that I worked with in my in my grad student or grad studies. So I invested $50,000 with one friend who had built an app. It was app development technology, super high risky uh, environment. And it was a very cool app. I won't go into the details. And I sat on that money and, and watched it. And then I also invested other $50,000 in, in a startup technology business that was doing um, it was more of a software a SaaS model. So I invested in these two companies. Within a year, I got a letter from the first guy saying, thanks for playing. We got bankrupt. We lost everything. And it crushed me, guys. I mean, it was, it was like everything I had. I yeah. lost it all. And uh, the other 50, um, I kept in touch with them. And actually, is it this year or at the end of last year, I got a letter from them saying, congratulations, we've sold. Here's a check for, and it was just shy of a million dollars. Wow. Oh that gosh. blows my mind. <laughs> well, again, so I've had this opportunity to learn, But put yourself out there. Take a risk. Yeah. You know, do it a couple times. Don't just put everything in one basket.
2: Yeah,
0: um, you're going to lose money. It's okay. And I learned from that, and I was much more cautious in my due diligence in the future. But to be able to have a million dollars cash at this point in my life, where I've got education, I got know how, and now I can put it to use. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm able to go buy my own storage facility. I'm able to, you know, invest passively. I've been able to do some some soft or uh, private money loans <clears throat> that I'm really excited about. That's where it gets exciting is waiting it out, doing the time and uh, being patient. So anyway, just, to, uh, and, and by the way, the corporate job is what facilitated that opportunity. I would have never got that hundred grand, yeah. you know, uh, any other way that, at that point in my career.
2: Yeah. What years were you at extra space? Like how long and, and kind of what time period?
0: Yeah, I, I started in May of 2004, all the way until 20, end of 2017.
2: Okay. So yeah, a good long tenure that you were there. And yeah. uh, I imagine that was a pretty exciting time, not just for extra space, but in the just self-storage industry. Oh, man. It seems yeah, like that was kind time. of a, a golden age of, uh, of growth from what I can tell as far as where, where people started to really take it seriously as an asset class. Is that Absolutely. a fair...
0: Uh, oh my goodness! Yeah, I, I, and if you look at valuations of of that time period, I mean, we went public at twelve dollars and fifty cents a share. Today's stock price, I'm not even sure what it is today. It's, it's just south of two hundred dollars a share. Wow. Yeah, and the the company valuation is in the you know, I don't know what it is, thirty or forty. Well, probably not the high now. Twenty to thirty billion dollars. It's just a it's a crazy growth. It was in at a time when storage was still not sexy. It wasn't very cool. Yeah. Uh, today, everybody goes, wow, what a cool you know, I want to be in storage. Um, I, I, actually, I'm the life of a party when I go to a barbecue, right. I'm talking <laughs> yeah. about storage. Back then I was the, the guy in the, the, always ruined every party. So, <laughs> so it's uh, amazing how that changes. It, it, <laughs> right. right. But no, it, it was, it was a great time. And again, I, I don't chalk everything up to luck or, or circumstance. Again, I, I know, you know, God puts you in the right place at the right time. And, and, mm-hmm. but it takes patience and, and it yeah. takes work, of, you know, taking the time.
2: So with the 13 years or so that you were there, I mean, uh, so I love having you speak to the, the benefits of sticking it out in a W-2, especially something that's growing in the way that it is and where you're part of that growth and getting to see it from so many different angles. I think there's something really valuable about that. And then of course the kind of stock options that you got and able to deploy that capital. Um, but w- when when did the, the seeds of the idea of like, I don't know that this is where I want to be forever, I think I want to go out on my own? Where do you think that those uh, first started to germinate? And why did you decide to leave after 13 successful years there?
0: Yeah, I always had this vision of wanting to build something of my own, you know, have my own sandcastle. And uh, mm-hmm. extra space had provided all the education. <clears throat> all the leadership, uh, incredible mentorship. I, I still am very much in touch with that, those people over there. Um, cool. And, and I, it kind of hit the ceiling. I was reporting directly to the COO, who I really respected, somebody I worked with for years and years. And, and the only way for me to continue to move up the company were, were probably to kill somebody. So I, I figured <laughs> you know, the other alternate route was to go look around. And, and um, I think it's important to put, put your ideas out there. You know, on social media, on you know, LinkedIn or whatever your resources are, even your own circles, you put yourself out there as to what you want to do and people are looking. I mean, you think of the millions of people out there that are talented, that have all the resources in the world except education or except your experience, whatever that might be. Mm-hmm. And uh, people people have come to me. My So I've never looked for a job since 2004 or 2017 when I left. I've always had an opportunity put in my lap and been able to choose. Uh, but like I said, that education and experience I think is so valuable, mm-hmm. but that network, uh, it's really where I started to see that that network is everything. And I've heard it said, your you know, your network is your net worth. And, and I totally believe that because it's the people that are around me that have watched me grow, that have watched me, you know, in my, my worst times, right. My mistakes, my whatever it might be. I mean, that's, those are the people that said, yeah, but look where you are today and look what you can offer. Um, that's, I think when I changed that mentality that, hey, people do need me for something, mm-hmm. I just need to find the right people. And I was connected very quickly to to this company in, in Pittsburgh that I worked with for, for several years as a, as a vice president of operations. Then I was headhunted away to as the COO of a private, uh, private equity group in New York, which is where I live now. And uh, just just huge opportunities cool. to be part of that organization. Um, and then at this, it was actually the start of this year. I said, okay, this is the time I'm going to stop making a lot of other people money. I'm going to branch out on my own and do my own thing. And I found myself, I'm the storage guy. I you know all this operational stuff. I don't know how to raise money. I don't know mm-hmm. how to, to to raise debt and to have equity partners. And, and that's where I was actually an investor with Open Door Capital and reached out to them and said, guys, why aren't you in storage? Let me, let, let me build that for you. Yeah. And, uh, I joined their organization and it was the perfect opportunity for me to build a company from the ground up. They thought they've got all the resources where I lack and it's been a, it's been an awesome ride. And now again, of course, doing my own thing on the side and and we'll probably have other opportunities in the future. Yeah,
1: I, I love, I love that piece of the story. And I want to dive in a little bit more to kind of what you're doing today and, and you know how that works, but to go back just one more time to those years in, in extra space, I'm curious, a lot of times when you, you talk to folks, they stay in the same role for a really long time. And you, you shared that there was a drive to eventually do your own thing and branch out. But what was the motivation for you in going through different roles within the organization? Was it just opportunity? Was it more pay or were there... Hey, I need to learn different skills, which is ulti- ultimately going to lead me to my goal.
0: You know what? It's a really good question because, uh, when I was young and starting, it was always about pay, right? When I started at extra space, right out of grad school, I was making $45,000 a year, which by the way, is probably more money than I'd ever seen before in my life. So I thought I had, I'd hit the jackpot, mm-hmm. um, and I was looking at the next job. Hey, well, if I take on additional responsibilities, if, if I do anything else, I'm going to make I don't know 55 or 65. So I was always chasing the dollar. I had a, a really great mentor and boss, uh, at extra space who, who literally took me aside one time and said, Dave, you're a smart guy, but you gotta quit chasing money. Mm. Mm. Like what you need to do is make yourself valuable and work your tail off and money will chase you. Mm. And he really, he set me down. And so that was the time when I started saying, look, I'm happy to like ironically, I really thought my place in life was this revenue management role, which was you know econometrics and statistics and and balancing rates. and I, I love that stuff. And my boss came to me and said, "We need your help. You understand the corporate business side, but we need your help out in the field. And it was a total sidestep. It wasn't it was the same pay. It was a ton more travel. It was a lot less glamorous. It was you know, one of 30 other people, so I wasn't special anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, but that educational experience, which I took, gave me that education to, to promote me. To Once I had the operational side and the business side, they put me back into a corporate role as, the, again, the senior director of operations, because I knew it all from all angles.
2: Right.
0: So education, taking a job just to learn something, mm. even if it's a, either a downgraded pay or, or the same pay, I, I continued to mentor a couple of students along the way and one of my main advice to a lot of them is you know don't aim for to become CEO. Aim to build your resume to build education and even if that means go work for free for some smart guy. God, think of the, the education the value of that education so, Education is, is critical to becoming an expert. Oh, you got to learn it from someone.
1: And that's huge. And I similarly, when I was early into my banking career and about three years in, I was working with small business companies and I sat down and I was sitting at a restaurant and there's a guy who had been a lifelong business owner. He bought and sold businesses and real estate and he said, I had an opportunity to jump into commercial banking, but it was a lateral move financially. And similarly to what you're talking about, he said... The opportunities that come with education is 10 times the value of any salary in any W-2, and it just opens the door for incredible opportunities. So I, I love that you're emphasizing the educational side because it just gets overlooked a lot.
0: Absolutely. I, I really think in order to find out who you are, you've to you've got to try a lot of different things. Uh, I Maybe I could have been a great dentist. I don't know, but... <laughs> But I think you have to test the waters, try some new things, try different asset classes, try different investments. You know, I, I tried my hand at at uh, day trading. Guess what? I lost a lot of money, and I said, "This is not for me." You know, I, but you got to know what you aren't before you can know what you are.
2: Yeah, I love that. I, that's such a, a fantastic quote. I, I love that you had a mentor. At the business, who is able to speak in to say, "Quit chasing money. Make yourself valuable. Work hard until money chases you." That's a wonderful mindset shift. I think, especially too, in the sort of economic uh, times that we're in, where there's a lot more instability, and I think a lot of, of people, especially kind of in the tech industry, are concerned about the. Uh, their jobs and uh, and questions about AI and what is AI going to replace in terms of the the workforce. Um. But if you're constantly making yourself valuable, if you're constantly building your education, then you're always going to have value to provide. Um, and I, I mean, you've you've kind of hinted at this, but um, do you have some thoughts on uh, on being a, a generalist versus being highly specialized? Like, um, h- how do you see yourself in that? Have you intentionally tried to? have a general understanding of all things business or have you found that like no there's like two or three things that I've really honed in on and because I've really focused my education and experience on those like that's my superpower I can plug in anywhere if they need these couple of things
0: yeah it's well said Um, I I think it's changed over time and I think that's okay when you when you're young when you have less opportunities or less experience it's it's okay to start really broad and and try to find out a lot about a lot of things and hopefully very quickly in your career whatever that means you're starting to focus that in and i think i i don't know there's no age limit on that but once you start really wanting knowing what you like and what you're drifting towards as a as you know what what tendencies do you have what you know where do you where do you get excited Mm -hmm. um i was reading a book this morning about uh, a knack, you know, a K-N-A-C-K. What, what's your knack for learning? You know, Where do you find yourself the most passionate? That's where you start to focus in and really, to, to quote a wise man I've heard recently said, go build your bridge, right? Focus on your one thing. Mm-hmm. It, it's so easy, especially in real estate and, and investing to get uh, excited about all the shiny objects out there because oh, yeah. there are so many Don't we cool know things it? Yeah. you could do. <laughs> there are so many cool ideas and amazing people. Um, but if you, if I try to be a generalist in 10 things or, or more, I'm going to be average at best. Yeah. Um, right now I consider myself, you know, a storage guy, right? Yeah. People come to me and ask me for advice on storage. And I love that by the way. And it's, it's, to me, it's, it's free education. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you want to ask me about, I don't know, cap rate compression and, and federal fund rates, I I know just a little bit enough to have a conversation, but but I leave that up to you, Nick. I mean, that's your thing. <laughs> um, so I think that's important to to specialize and then know where your gaps are. So those are the kind of partners that I'm what I'm looking for. Yeah, find someone to fill in your own gaps with with people and knowledge rather than trying to know it all yourself.
2: Yeah, and that actually leads to sort of a question that I jotted down um, as you were talking about um, your. Uh, partnership with Open Door Capital as you were going out to start to build your own thing with self-storage and kind of realized, hey, I know all of the operational side of this, but the fundraising is totally foreign. I mean, given all of your experience, network connections, I'm sure that if you wanted to, you could have figured that out and learned it. But I'm, I'm curious, just your perspective on... Partnership. You obviously chose not to uh, to go out and, and learn those things and leverage whatever connections you had, and instead find, all right, who's already doing this really well? The capital raising side. How do I partner with them? So, um, one, uh, why uh, why partner? But I think more interestingly, like, how do you choose a partner? Why open door when there's you know a hundred other, um, syndication capital raising groups that you probably could have gone with. And, and how do you, how do you pick a partner to work with?
0: That is a very introspective question. Um, to me, I've worked for a lot of people over the years, and and I think there's something to learn from each person that I worked for positive or negative. Um, but I definitely learned a lot of things that I don't want in life the people that I don't want to work with, the attitudes, the you know, the methodologies, the tendencies, and so when I'm looking for a partner, I was looking for just good, you know, like-minded, energetic, you know, God-fearing people, and I could be specific. I didn't have to worry about, to your point, Nick, you just said this. You know that, that there's a lot of people that can raise money, mm-hmm. but there are only a few people. If you start to to cut that back and say, okay, there's only a few that are are like-minded there are only a few that are christian there are only a few that are this and it starts getting smaller and smaller and when i met uh brandon turner for the first time it was actually ironically at a storage conference he was a a keynote speaker i I didn't even know the guy but i listened to him speak and the, the concepts and ideas that he shared i was like this is a good guy like he knows his stuff and uh i would love to work with him someday it wasn't until another year later before i had that opportunity to even consider it And um, I started out as an investor. I I tested the waters with him first as a passive investor first. And then uh, once I met him and I realized that they had a hole, I was able to say, I can plug it. And we immediately, like it it literally took a couple of days before we're like, we're going to make this work. And and it was a, it was a good marriage. So I think partners, like you said, partners, uh, you get to pick. You don't ever have to feel like you're forced into a partnership and some partners work, some don't. And it's okay to shake hands and walk away because you disagree on something. Um, but, but partners just like a marriage should be two people willing to give a hundred percent, not not uh, two people giving 50, 50% each. Mm-hmm. So you got to really do your homework, get to know somebody. It's well put.
1: Yeah, no, I, I think that's super good. And you know, a lot of times the proverbial wisdom, I think a lot of people are afraid for bringing on partners. I've seen that both as a banker with businesses, they want to wear all the hats or, you know, yes. kind of like with what you're talking about, there's this fear of if I bring in the wrong partner, I'm, I'm ruined. But again, some of the conversations we've had with people, e- e- even though maybe those relationships didn't come to an end, um, the lessons, the network and the better together mentality, I think that that ultimately keeps you moving forward.
0: Well said. So. Well said.
1: So. Um, let me ask you this here, David going back uh, you know i keep going back to those extra space days but uh <laughs> i'm i'm curious here in terms of deciding to to go ahead and go out on your own you know again making good money high high level in the company what was some fear at that time around leaving the world you you had known i mean you you were right there reporting to the top guys well liked you left on good terms, so I think a lot of people get into that position, and ultimately they say, "Hey, like I'm just going to ride it out. I'm just going to keep doing my thing." So I, I know there was the motivation to build your own thing, but but what were some fears and maybe your process of go ahead and you know deciding to leave?
0: That's deep. Um, yeah, it, it's hard to walk away from a good job from people you like. Uh, Extra Space has a really cool office and a great culture. They have. They even have an espresso machine in the office. You know, it's just all there. They had everything. It was a full package. Um, I think it's really difficult to break that mindset of comfort uh, versus opportunity. Uh, I mean, you will never know what you're what you're capable of accomplishing unless you get out there and you step outside your comfort zone, step into the dark just a little bit, and say, "Hey, what what else is there?" And I'm not ch- I'm not telling people that they should you know never be content. Um, I think there's a moment and a very good time for contentedness, and the, there's a moment and the time for just taking a step of faith. Um, I mean, anybody that's ever been married, I mean, talk about a big step of faith, right? You you know this girl for whatever period of time, and, and you finally commit. Once you commit, you put everything into it, and you're content. Um, so I mean it's risk and I think you have to take the kind of risk that you're ready for I'm totally fine there there are people uh still at extra space over you know say 20 years now that are still there that's fantastic that works for them uh there's actually a book I read uh, a couple of years ago a friend passed along it was called the psychology of money uh, it's a Morgan housel and he had this quote that said I'm probably going to slaughter but it but he said you know don't take financial cues from people playing different game than you are
2: mm-hmm.
0: You know, if we're not all on, we're not all playing basketball. We're not on the same court. I mean, we're all playing a different game. You got to do it your way and you got to try different things. And just because it worked really well for David Decker doesn't mean you should get into storage. You know, just because banking is really cool, you shouldn't follow Nick, whatever it might be. Do what, do what works for you, but, but try different things and and see what, for that, your specialty really is going to be. I hope that answers most of the question. Yeah.
2: Yeah, I think that that's that's right to recognize the the game that you're playing. I think too everyone has a different risk tolerance and that's that's a feature, not a bug of human society, right? Like we we don't want Every person at Extra Space or in any given business to have the entrepreneurial bug, <laughs> and because you know we'd never build anything <laughs> if everybody was just leaving yeah. all the time to go out and start their their own thing. And so I think that that is good to to recognize that hey, there's a there's no shame in in sticking to a uh, a job where you're finding fulfillment and you're adding value to a, a company and you're part of something that you like and that you're building. Um, but, uh, but for you, it, it, you definitely did say, all right, I, I see an opportunity here that's going to stretch me outside of my comfort zone. I like the, the phrase you used of stepping into the dark a little bit and not knowing exactly what was going to come. Um, sticking with the theme here of, of getting deep into the waters, I mean, a question I, I guess that I have related to that is, <clears throat> how do you make those calculations about stepping into the dark or taking risk when you do have a wife and, and kids, do you feel like that was, uh, part of why you waited maybe 13 years at extra space before going out on your own because of the season of life that your, your kids were in? Or how do you think that our audience as their entrepreneurially minded group, uh, should balance the, uh, the risk that they feel like they need to take to chase opportunities, and the impacts that that can have on a family based on your own experience and what you've seen.
0: No, uh, well said. I I think uh, you have to realize that when I moved the first time from Extra Space, we were living near family. We had, like I said, a good job, good pay. Um, Relatively, my kids were young. My oldest was in his young teens at the time. So um, it was easier to move but that first move really shook us up as a family, right? You lose your roots, you kind of cut that off. You know, my, I'm, the, I'm the only kid in my family that has grandkids, and so my parents were shaking their heads, like, "What are you doing? Taking our kids away? Grandkids?" Um, there's absolutely repercussions of every decision that you make that just don't affect you, unless you're just a single guy, you know, living living the life. Yeah. Um, so moving out is is tough, um, yeah. and really, to us, it was more a move to not just again, chase a title or a position but to expand our horizons you know growing up in, in utah it's a, it's a pretty secluded place a wonderful wonderful place you've never been there um but i wasn't exposing my family to you know to diversity of of ideas and people and you know all they saw is was the wasatch front mountains
1: mm-hmm.
0: i wanted to say hey let's go try the let's go try something else and so uh, one of the pieces that I think is critical to that decision making is having a a sounding board, someone that you trust, mm-hmm. someone that you can go to and say, look, am I just doing this because of ego or am I doing this because it's the right thing? Um, for me, that's my wife and it's God. And uh, I, I spent a lot of time soul searching to say, is this the right thing? And and if if my wife didn't agree, it wasn't going to happen. Yeah. No matter how strongly I felt about it, so I think that's super important to have that person in your life, whether it's a spouse or you know a friend, or even just a mentor, someone you can go to and and spill your guts to and really dial it back uh, mm-hmm. as to what the next step in your life is going to be. And let them let them be critical.
1: Love it. I'm, I, you know, you've talked mentor a couple times, and you've mentioned that. And you know, again, with your approach to things, it sounds like some mentors have just happened by way of of work. And is that something you? I mean, what's given you to, a desire to seek mentors? Is that something that you you try to try to just find people and start asking questions, or is that relationship earned over time? To walk me through kind of your approach with mentorship, because you know, one, you've talked about having great mentors, but two, you've talked about being a mentor as well.
0: Yeah. No, I, I think once you understand the value of, of mentorship in general, and, and I think this goes even broader than just people, but, you know, books, uh, podcasts, uh, friends, it doesn't matter. You've got to insert as much truth into your life as you possibly can. So you could filter down. I, I, I'm a, I'm a st- statistician by heart. So um, I believe in the more samples that you collect, the more closer you to accuracy that you get. Uh, and you could think about if, if all you watched was whatever news station that you, you say to watch the news, you would have a very biased opinion of the world. But if you can watch five or six different versions of the same news, you start to come to a truth center. And, and so I believe that. And um, I didn't come to that realization on my own by any means. Like I said, my that first good mentor in grad school was was uh, just an eye-opening experience for me to to have someone that just cared about me. He had, he got nothing out of it, right? He even paid for my lunches, um, <laughs> but he was taking care of me, and and I'm forever indebted to him. Um, since then, uh, I've been able because I feel like I need to to uh, pay the world back. Is is I'm doing the same thing. Yeah. Um, I never turned down an opportunity to, to mentor somebody. I've mentored you know dozens of grad students in the same program with my alumni association. Um, and, and since then, I mean, being part of this uh, mastermind group, Nick, that you mentioned earlier, you know, reaching out to people and just saying, you look like a really interesting person. Tell me what's your superpower. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I think, Nick, that's how you and I met at first. That's right. <laughs> just some random conversation. And uh, and we, you know, we could be so far apart in our lifestyle and our ideas, but we probably have something in common that we can grow from. And, and Nick, you, you would offer me some great advice. uh you asked me. You had some self-storage uh, buddies that were working on some stuff and wanted some advice. I mean, so you just give and take. And like I said, the the uh, the million-dollar investment that I talked about before that came from a student that I was mentoring, and he trusted me and he said, "Hey, would you consider being an angel investor in my deal?" Wow. Um, so I think it, it's it's give and take. It, it's not just give 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 or take take take. It really you get get what you give, and so I think it's important to just reach out download as much as you possibly can, read books, listen to podcasts and talk to as many people as you possibly can. And you'll find the people that you gravitate towards and, and have those relationships grow. And it just happens. That's what we're here for. We're all, we're all human I mean, we all need help.
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the power of network, the power of relationships, you continue to, to share that, but I mean, you've lived it and you've experienced that. And, and I, I think you just can't underscore that enough. Let, let's shift a little bit uh, since we have the storage guru on here. I, uh, I am curious, just your thoughts with the state of the market, you know, and, and again, I mean, let's channel it because there's folks who have been in the space a long time and done it really well. What about folks who maybe haven't looked into storage in the past? Is it a bad time? Is it a good time? What are What are some advice for, hey, you know, if this is a path you want to go down, Start here. I, you, you know, again, take it where you want, but I thought it'd be great just to kind of start talking a little bit about storage here since we got you on the on the line.
0: Love to. I I still think and, and I'm very bullish on storage. Uh, that, that I, I still think that storage is a, is a great investment. Um, I do want to be very clear. There's a lot of people wanting to get into the storage world uh, as investors because they see the returns, because they see the, you know, the quote unquote, the ease of storage. But they really don't realize that this is a business, not just an asset class that you buy. You know, it's not a mutual fund. Mm-hmm. This is a this is an asset class that you have to own and operate. Um, now, that being said, it's a lot easier than having a fourplex and having to fix toilets and take phone calls at midnight and you know dealing with you know fights and collecting rent. Um, the things I love about storage is is it's I'm spreading out my my paycheck, my income, over you know 500 customers that, that come and they stay. It's a very sticky business. Once they're here, they stay forever. Mm-hmm. Um, I also have month-to-month leases. I have a monthly lease that, that allows the customer to come and go as they need, so it leaves them freedom, but it also allows me to change the rate as the market changes. Mm-hmm. As I add value, I can immediately change the price of that unit, whether they're, uh, they moved in yesterday or, or six years ago. So in theory, I'll I'll paint a picture. If I buy a property, let's just say for a million dollars, and I have this this income stream coming in, let's say 20000 dollars a month. Uh, well, that's a lot for a, a million dollar property, but regardless, we have a let's say we have this income stream coming in. I immediately can identify where that property can be maximized by you know increasing marketing spend, you know putting up better signage, cleaning up the property, professional management. Um, and really, again, it comes back down to valuation and pricing. I can come in and set a new market rate, raise the customers up to that market rate. Let's just say it's a 15 or 20% increase. Most of those customers don't move out. So I got a 20% increase in NOI on day 30 of me taking over this property, and my valuation just went up, the entire property, by 15 to 20%, multiply that or divide that by a cap rate, and all of a sudden, I've got a, a $2 million property, right? So... It's just an incredible asset class that you can do that. Now you have to find the right property, yeah. And, and one little tidbit I think that's and why I like storage. I was showing a map to somebody the other day of all of the storage development that's happening right now. There's like three thousand new storage facilities on you know in late stage of development right now. That doesn't matter. Like I'm in like for example my deal in Schenectady, New York. I only care about what's within three to four miles of what my property is. It's a micro, micro market. Mm -hmm. I don't have to worry about, you know, with multifamily, you might be pulling people from 20 or 50 miles away and competing with every single other apartment building in that, in that area storage within three to five miles. I probably have four or five competitors. You know, they might have two to 400 doors each on a population of, 200,000 people. So, I mean, there's really a great place for for building. It has to be done wisely, right? You can't just put this up wherever and expect it to fill up. You got to find those pockets where the population can support the amount of competition, including you, that's there. I think that's a great way to start in this business is to find those markets that already exist, acquire something small so you get your feet wet, um, look for high occupancies and high demand so you don't have to worry about that. And then just look at the optimization part. How can I make it that much better? Mm. Because a 20% swing in in, uh, in optimization, in all those things that I listed before, is a major swing in valuation. And you could, more or less, you could almost flip the property within a few years. And there's a lot of guys out there doing that. Yeah. So yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a goldmine of an industry, but you really got to do it carefully. You got to
2: be hard. careful about it.
1: Yeah, no,
0: Absolutely.
2: And for those that are getting started that don't have a ton of capital, where is the best place, do you think, for them to to look? Um, is it uh, trying to find mismanaged uh locally owned and operated, uh, store? Is it, uh, do they need to immediately find some capital partners and, and try and find something that's a little bit more established? I don't know. Where, where would you have folks go or, or maybe even just what are the options to create categories for people to consider for how they get started here?
0: Yeah. If, if I knew what I knew now, I would have to start from total scratch. I had no money to my name. I would start by my own neighborhood. I would look around at who the competitors are and literally find out who the owner is and take them to coffee. Yeah. And just say, you know, what's going on? Tell me about your facility. This is a cool place. Tell me the history. And at some point when that relationship allows it to be said, have you ever considered selling this place?
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And, uh, and there's a surprising amount of people that, again, this industry started, uh, people will claim it started you know 30 or 40 years ago, but most people that got into storages in the last 20 years, these guys, I mean, you think about owning a facility for 20 years or 30 years, and there's a lot of, uh, you know, the. it's funny you use the word goat for the greatest of all time, but there's a lot of goats of getting old and tired out there as well. <laughs> <laughs> and, and those are the guys that, look, it might make sense to, you know, do some seller financing or do something creative to help transition this. You know, you guarantee me an income for the next 10 years or five years and you take over my property. Um, I yeah. think there's great opportunities. And by the way, there's facilities you can get into for for a couple hundred thousand bucks, um, it, meaning the down payment and you could finance the rest. Yeah. So there's there's not, uh, you don't have to start at a $10 million property. Um, there's all sizes of storage. That's good. But I think it's that relationship again, build you know, local knowledge of who, who they are, talk to them. Now, if I wanted to go bigger than that, um, both to your point that you're interested in storage, there's a lot of people out there that would love to get involved. Um, so what I have found with our syndication that I just launched, uh, we'll be just starting our fundraising next week, is that there is an abundance of people. There are tons of people that want to put money into a deal because they don't know anything about it. And by the way, it's a great way to start to learn the business is if you can if you can get that accredited status and, and have 50,000 bucks or 100,000 bucks, it's a great way to learn the business because you get all the operating reports, you get to hear the commentaries, you get to see the ups and downs. Yeah. Uh, it's, like, it's, it's, a, it's not a cheap education, but it's a good education. Um, I found I, we've already likely oversubscribed. I mean, we haven't even launched it yet. Wow. Uh, people, people will chase good deals. So getting excited about the deal attracts the money. Yeah. Um, so there's, there's opportunities to partner. There's opportunities to fundraise. You could, you know, bootstrap this thing yourself, um, start small. Uh, again, I've seen some units. I was talking to a, a friend that was looking at doing a, a 30 door storage unit, 30 doors. Again, the thing only cash flowed a couple of grand a month, but what a great way to start. And they'll probably flip it and make a few hundred thousand dollars. So there's lots of ways to do it. Um, the money will come. The money will come. Yep. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and it's surprising. And banks actually really like this asset class if they've never done it before. Yeah, it's a It's a stable asset. So it's not actually too difficult to... To find funding for.
1: Well, and there's yeah. there's banks that love it, and there's banks that you know maybe don't know it, and it, y- know it, it's yeah. it all comes back to relationships. I mean, we've continued to say that through this episode, but it's the same with banks. I mean, you know, what find a bank that that knows these and and likes these and 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 look to partner. So I think I think the opportunities are out there. You just got to be the one willing to do the work, and I think that's a huge thing with what you've continued to say. Let let me ask you this. You know, besides you know, folks who are new in this space. Besides them treating it as just real estate and not a business that they have to learn and operate, what are some other common mistakes you see folks make early on as they're exploring this?
0: I think one of the biggest and what's punishing a lot of operators today, or I'll say investors today, is uh, having too much optimism. Right? Mm-hmm. They they hear they go to a conference. They hear someone's stories, they see someone's Instagram feed on, you know, how much money I made on this deal. And there's a lot of influencers out there in this space that are sharing good information, but you only see the good, right? They rarely see the, the, the bankruptcies and the, the, the bank foreclosures and everything that comes into that. Um, I think too much optimism is, is bad. So for example, you might say, you know, this a builder says, hey, look, I can go put in a million dollars and I can build a $10 million facility and I'll sell it the day it's built. Um, or I'll build it myself or operate it myself and so they over leverage themselves and you know they put way too much stress on the deal so that it doesn't work you know these things take time the average property from from entitlement or for buying the land up until it's I'm going to call it leased up or stabilized is usually a few years three four five years Mm. um, from ground up development and uh, even if the construction takes a year, you just think I'm going to make a ton of money, but a lot of things happened in the year. The past yeah. year, all of us right. are kind of shaking our head, right? right? So there's a lot of builders out there right now that are backwards because they're in variable loans and you know they're now trying to service debt that's skyrocketing with zero cash flow. Um, so again, it's just that over-optimism. you got to have reserves. you got to have a backup plan and you need to have good operations. Um, this is not, again, this isn't for everybody. You shouldn't do it if you don't know it or find someone that knows how.
2: Yeah. Uh, that's that's really good. And I love the uh, the recommendation to start in your neighborhood, develop the relationships with the owners operators around you, um see if you can can find a deal in where you live, work, play already. Um that's also, that's yeah. good. I am uh, so you with your uh, portfolio and and just with where you've worked. I mean, you, you mentioned earlier in the the conversation here that you've got facilities um, that you're part of that are kind of all over the the country. And so, do you see this as an asset that um, that as young operators start to grow and scale? Like, if you find one in your neighborhood, how hard is it to make the jump once you kind of are in the space to then doing something that's on the other side of the country. And what are the challenges that um, trying to own and operate from a distance create?
0: Uh, it could be done. Um, it can be done. I, I think it's important. Uh, again, don't be too overly optimistic. There's a lot of people saying these things can be managed from your cell phone. Or, you know, they're, they're just a, a remote management uh, I, we did just buy a property from a, an owner-operator. who happened to be a real estate agent that, that bought this as part of a portfolio, and, and he literally was running the property from his cell phone. Huh. Now, every call came to him. He, he took their information, took the credit card, typed it in his computer, and sent him a code to get into the gate, and they put a lock on it. Um, so it can be done, and, I, and I've seen a lot of partnerships do that. Um, there's very cool technology that's coming around right now with with kiosks, with uh, mobile leasing you know digital signature stuff for, for contracting uh, Bluetooth locks and access there's a few companies out there that offer this you could lock and unlock doors from you know 2,000 miles away mm-hmm. um, there is some ways to do it remotely It's uh, not impossible but but I would say it's probably not the best way to start yeah uh, I'd rather learn it and, and guy I would say literally go go work for a storage company. Sure. He'll put in three, four, six months, whatever. Just say, look, I'll run the front desk for you. Yeah. You know, you can probably make, you know, 18 to 20 bucks an hour. Not glorious, but just learn the business. I, I'll just show you a story. I had a, an employee of mine. I was a district manager who did just that. He worked for me for about a year. And then one day I was looking at the competition online, trying to get the rates. And I found this one thing that said, you know, XYZ Storage, it was his last name or something. I was like, hey, man, is this. This related to you? Oh yeah, yeah! I just finished building it. Like I'm gonna, I have to quit now probably. (laughs) And uh, and by the way, super bright guy. I mean, what what a great way to do it. And he had access. You know, he knew the sales process now. He knew how to price. He knew how to take care of a property. So yeah, go work for somebody. And then maybe you could offer to buy it from him in the future. I mean, there's so many great ways to get in the business. Yeah, it was a shocker for sure. And he's done like three or four units of property since.
2: Ah, Um, good for him. That's yeah. (laughs) I love that advice too, and and it you know it's consistent in keeping with what you were saying of that. It's like hey, uh, don't don't chase the money. Chase, become valuable. Get your education, and the money will chase after you. 100%. And I'm, I'm sure that the, the guy that you're referring to is a uh, living proof of that as well. I'm sure his friends did not find it impressive when he was working for you <laughs> at the hourly wage at the front desk, but uh, I'm sure they're jealous of him now as he's buying them drinks um, <laughs> off of his self-storage earnings. <laughs> well said, yes. So, <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah. Very cool. Well, this, this has been great David. what I'd love to do is just transition real quick to our golden nugget round and you've given us a lot of stuff here I think in terms of mentors and quotes and but but we're going to do it just because I, I love ending on these questions and, and ultimately I think you know your heartbeat with giving back and looking for ways to help people and, and give 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 I, I love that so let's jump into these these are the same four questions we ask our guests. So the first one here is pick one of the five Fs we talk about at Abundant Journey. Just pick one of these that you're working on improving or growing in this year. So we, we got family, finance, faith, fitness, and future.
0: Well, that's a tough one. Um, I, I think, I, you know, an interesting thing. I, I made a goal this year uh, with on my family relationships. I, I Again, I have six kids and a, and a wonderful wife. I I think I'm pretty close to them, but spreading myself out for six, now seven people is really tough. And so I made it a goal and, and not perfect yet. I'm still trying to make this habit is that I spend at least one day a week dedicated to one of my kids Mm -hmm. or my wife. And, uh, and that means just going to get in a, you know, a fro-yo together or going to the park and throwing the ball around or going on a date night with my wife. But I, I have to intentionally schedule time with them. Uh, to take that one-on-one time. And that's that's a goal that I, I hope I can master someday. I love yeah. that.
1: That's that's great. I mean, and you know, I love that that's an emphasis and a focus because as busy as you are, I mean, you're building out a new team, you're building out a new opportunities with Open Door. You got a facility on your own, you're building. You I know with us talking you've got other deals you're working on, but yet you've got to keep the primary, the primary. And so investing in those relationships and just making that a habit. I mean, we talk so much about that at better life tribe, you and I as, as we're both a part of, so that's, that's an awesome answer. Next one here. Again, you've given us a few of these already, but what's a quote from a book or mentor that stuck with you along your journey?
0: Uh, yeah, I, I, I live on a lot of books. Um, I wanna this is a, a pretty deep quote. This came early in my life. Uh, it was Ralph Waldo Emerson. He said that, and'll I'll change the words just slightly so it's more uh, uh, politically correct. but it's every person that I meet is my superior in some way. in that I learn of them. and and what I what I gather from that, and it probably comes without saying with what you've learned today from me, but every single person that I meet, it could be the grocery store bagger, it could be my Uber driver could be the CEO across the table. Someone has something to learn or something, someone has something to give and teach me. They're, they're an expert at something that I'm not. And and it's my job to dig that out and find out what that is. Uh, So I have to learn from each person I meet, take that time.
1: You got to have that interwoven into your DNA, teachable and humble. And I, I love that. And that propels you so much further. So having that mindset with people, that's awesome. Next one here, and you again. You did kind of just even answer this one. But what's a dream or goal that you have that you've not been able to make happen yet?
0: Oh, geez, uh, i You know, I'm going to pivot a little bit, maybe surprise you. My my goal in life is to give my kids a chance earlier in life than I did uh, to to find success. And I have no desire to leave my kids millions of dollars and make lots and lots of money and have a private jet. My goal is to make them have that vision of who they are and what they can be. And and I want, I think my dream is to see, you know, I hope all my kids, but at least some of my kids really get that bug for for entrepreneurship, real estate. I have a 16 year old son that's out showing me Zillow listings all the time. Like, dad, let's buy this one. Let's buy this one. You know, we're sitting in the car driving to a football game. and He's like, dad, tell me about depreciation. Like, what does that mean? Uh, so he's starting to get it. But I want the day that the day that I can give them a check that they earned 100 percent of uh, because of the deal. That's that's my. I love that opportunity. That's what I'm looking forward to.
1: It sounds like you're well on your way with that one, which is exciting. Last one here at the end of your life. What do you hope you'll be remembered for?
0: Ooh, uh, I don't think I'm gonna ever die. No.
1: <laughs>
0: no. <laughs> Here's a. <laughs> uh, I, I had a little bit of backstory before I give the answer here. Um, my, my younger brother, I had a younger brother. Uh, he was 25 in 2008 and he passed away. Uh, young guy and you would never expect, right? We all, when it's our time to go, it's time to go. Um, but one year before he had passed away, it was, uh, it was a New Year's Eve day. He actually was playing with fireworks, some Roman candles and it it took his hand off at the wrist. And, uh, yeah, don't don't uh, if you're gonna get fireworks, don't don't go to uh, Mexico to get those. But he he uh, he blew off his hand, wow. and wow. Uh, from the day that that happened, it changed his life. He was he was studying to be a chiropractor. That changes a lot, oh, right? Wow. Yeah. He was uh, he was playing. He was a professional trumpet player, which again it took off his hand. So his life changed dramatically. He was a tennis player. I mean, all these great things. He was engaged uh, to be married, and uh, he spent his whole life from that day forward, which is again, from the time that happened to when he actually passed away for that one year. So it wasn't a long time to making other people comfortable. And and after he passed away, he actually had died in a boating accident. Um, he had jumped in the water off this boat during a storm to try and save the stuff, the, the oars and the life jackets and things that have blown off. He, he was trying to save the rest of the people in the boat mm-hmm. and the water overtook him and he, he drowned. Um, but what we found after he passed away, once we were you know, putting together his service and obituaries and things, as we found a, a list that he had created and, and saved for himself, his affirmations.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And the number one affirmation was that people are always more important. And, and his last one was, I will never be a victim. And how that played out, again, I'm talking one year, his, his, uh, his funeral services uh, we attended a, a very large church, and it was standing room only. There were hundreds and hundreds of people that showed up for this service. Most of them barely knew him. didn't know us from anybody. Just this 25-year-old you know, uh, college student who had made an impact in so many people's lives just in small ways. I mean, he threw pirate parties because he had a hook. I mean, he just <laughs> did the coolest things. And uh, I, I guess my goal at the end of this is that I can— put people first and somehow get to get to God at when I with my last day and he, he says, Hey, well done. Yeah. You did this. Well done. And that's that's uh that's I hope what I'm remembered for. So I got there.
2: That's a beautiful story, man. Thank you so much for uh Yeah, thanks for asking for for sharing that. And uh and I I, mean, I always it's a deep question, but I always love it. Love how people respond. Um and that's a that's one of my favorite responses uh, and that's, that's so true uh, people are always more important put people first i'm grateful for the ways that, that you're doing that i'm grateful for the ways that you've done that in sharing your time with us and our listeners here and all of the wonderful wisdom and thoughts uh, that you've been able to impart to us um, for anybody who's my pleasure yeah. Thank you so much. So for anybody who would like to to connect with you to kind of keep up with what you're doing, what are some of the best places uh, for them to go, whether that's website or social media profiles or open door capital, if you want to send them there, um, sure. where are the best spots?
0: Yeah, I, I, like I said, I'm, I'm not a, a real out there guy. I probably should do a better job. Uh, look me up on LinkedIn. I always love to connect with people. Um, you can, you can email me directly. My private email address i daviddecker at gmail.com. Uh, I'm always happy to answer questions or talk, shop, or I know, like I said, I'm probably going to learn more from you than you learn from me, but I'm happy to have that conversation. And yeah, interested in, in investing, by all means, jump into Open Door Capital and check them out. They have some pretty cool investments that we've been working on. And uh, hopefully, I'll launch my own uh, syndication here next week. and Yeah. Who knows? Where that'll
2: go. Yeah, that's amazing. Well, I will include um, links to all of uh, those spots in the, the show notes. Uh, David would love to, to stay in touch and just continue to hear about what you're doing and, uh, you know, maybe have you back on in a, a year or so to to talk about how your syndication deal is going and also hear, uh, where, how many miles you're up to in those, uh, <laughs> ultra marathons with another year of training under your belt. <laughs> no but pressure. Guys, yeah, man. yeah, no doubt. Talk about
0: accountability.
2: <laughs> <laughs> no, but all the best to you in, uh, in your race next month. That's, uh, that's going to be awesome. 50 miles is Thank more you. than I can wrap my head around, but I'm sure you hear that Brilliant. all the time. Uh, Listeners, thank you so much for coming along this journey with us. If uh, you found valuable content here, please do let us know by um, leaving a rating on the show. And the best thing that you can do is to share it with a friend. Uh, You can also check out AbundantJourney.net. There's a link to sign up for our newsletter so that you never miss out on all the good things that are happening as Abundant Journey's community continues to grow. So thanks, everybody. We will be back again very soon we